<laughs> don't get refrigerators, people. Just use a cooler. Don't get fridged. <laughs>
comic reviewers around so there you go um and then we had it recently with a pretty big fan favorite favorite of renew your vows uh with a different daughter so this is technically the first time that spider-man had a son i guess Uh, well what about didn't he have a son and a daughter in um life story that just wrapped up oh yeah but you get two pages of that son who cares (laughs) but it's there you can't say that jj abrams son was first that's true okay that's a good point so it's been done three times and every time stronger than this book which is just focusing on the sun and the fact that peter parker is a hook hand now i guess and mary jane's (laughs) dead and it's just like all this tragedy and nonsense i'm like don't get me wrong i understand tragedy is a component of spider-man but at the end of amazing fantasy 15 we had an entire story in 10 pages this is there's nothing going on we're going nowhere and oh my god he had a kid and the kid's upset because he's not around so much give me more in a comic (laughs) oh my god it's so thin and it's so nothing there's no ideas presented here it's just a let's just fridge mary jane and move on that 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 was it oh i I've never been... That's not true. That is not true at all. It is one of the most disappointing comics I've read this year, (laughs) is what I should say. But I have definitely read comics that have made me far more mad. Trouble probably being up there. Your your life is almost as tragic as the characters in Tokyo Ghost, with all these disappointments littered throughout. There you go. (laughs) Um, Well, so, but will you keep buying it? (sighs) I'm kind of... I actually may not. Uh-huh. it's so bad i don't i honestly wouldn't feel right reviewing it continuously mm-hmm. um this is something that i kind of landed on to when i was doing youtube more regularly and i pushed other people to try to say um in particular uh who was it um who was it that really liked batwoman um uh cammy uh re- Cam- yeah. reader 1717 yeah yeah sorry i don't know why i could a number of other people it. suffered through some really bad bat women woman thanks to mark andreco as, as i remember it. I, I i bring her up because she was the perfect example she loved batwoman because when batwoman started holy shit they're doing a big reprint now of that initial book elegy right. and it was one of the best comics around at the time it's that's a great book we should we should do an episode but um Actually, it's not a bad idea. Um, but, it, you know, it went there. And then, you know, as it, it got a little looser pretty quickly because it went from elegy to kind of continuing the character, which had some ebbs and flows, but I don't think was quite as strong, but wasn't quite as strong as one of the strongest DC thing DC put out in a decade, you know, whatever. Right. It was still a fine comic as it continued. Right. Up to but a then, certain point. Then after the creative team left because they wouldn't let that woman be married. Oh, right. Because they had a no marriage policy at DC at the time. Right. Uh, even though there were marriages, but I guess they were grandfathered in. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I thought that'd be funny. Um, the book got bad really bad and you know month after month she was kind of moaning like i think i should put batwoman's my favorite character i was like you know what drop it pick up the issues when they're cheap you'll have your full collection but like don't keep hitting that rock and that's something i tried to impress on people like if you're really not liking a book month after month you have to let an issue slide here or there if it's a run you like and maybe one issue didn't hit sure but if you're not liking a book let it go try something else come back when you're ready well it's a little harder if it's batwoman is your favorite character because there's only one comic with spider-man you can still have 20 comics to read even if you drop this one well so that's a good thing for you right that's 
fair. Um, but I agree that it was hard because Cammy used to do videos every month or every week, and we would watch her every month go through more pain with Batwoman in it. I really felt for her, but because, I mean, she really cared about that character. Right. Well, I mean, I, I've suffered that before, too, uh, trying to stick with a character and it's just not going. And I realized, you know, they're going to come around or I guess they won't sometimes. So you just got to. They should be fun. The, lo- <laughs> the long term comic reader has to learn to move from character to character. There's no guarantees, you know, uh or you change. Sometimes it's just that you change, but uh, and it certainly doesn't, you know, if you stick with comics for 20 years, not to mention 48 years that I now realize I've been reading comics, some characters just aren't ever going to be the same again. You know, times change, creators change. So, you know, when I was a kid, Captain America was my favorite, but I, I think it's, you know, it's been a long time since I can really relate to Captain America. And that's a character I've wanted to go back and maybe pick some touchstones and try to read more of because I have had some strong opinions about Captain America. And I realize like I haven't really read that much Captain America. I've read a chunk, but uh, not as much as I feel like I should to be waxing poetic about Steve Rogers or the, the better days of his better angels. Well, I would love to read the first four issues of Captain America with you read, uh, written by Steve Englehart in the early 70s, but it may be rough going for you, but it's only four issues and it, uh, it's their old Marvel attempt at dealing with racism in a very striking way. Ooh, yeah, that, that might be something. L- let, let me put it this way. The first cover shows Captain America beating up black people. Well, equal opportunity. They can be villains too. <laughs> because they're black. I mean, it's clear. It's like, it's all explained and it's good. Okay. But uh, it's interesting. I don't know. Maybe it won't work for you because it's just so old school in the way it's written. So. I, I check it out. I'm curious. But the one Captain America plot that keeps bouncing back in my mind is where they did basically the entirety of Secret Invasion in like three issues during Mark Wade's run. Oh, really? Yeah. I have never read Mark Wade's Captain America. Oh, wait. The one, the recent Mark Wade Captain America run? No, no. This was in the 90s. Oh, okay. I have not read that one i did read his most recent one which was an odd one but yeah well an interesting thing uh one of the comments we got i probably can't find it right now so the when the when the podcast appears on youtube i get a lot of comments one of the comments was from um someone who goes by the name gore vidal but that's not his real name but he yeah he uh (laughs) that's not the actual he's in my (laughs) age range i'm not sure his actual age but i'm guessing he's over 50 um or at least in his late 40s but he said that listening to our most recent conversation about um new gods reminded him of all the conversations he has with people of a much younger generation he called them millennials i don't know if you count as a millennial but i do um he said that uh when he gives some millennial some book that he really loved and then they have a conversation about it that it's just like you're in my conversations about old books (laughs) so i guess we fall into some generational pattern here that maybe we're not even totally aware of but there's clearly generational differences in the way we read comic books it's true but i really appreciate like i really did enjoy going through new gods and i almost felt bad because i felt like i didn't uh i feel like i need to read that almost a couple more times to really talk about it like there's a lot going on there but i really like that black racer issue whereas you like the (laughs) next issue a lot more right well maybe i was wrong to want you to read issues in isolation 
just because that's the way I read them as a kid, but it somehow seemed important to me at the time. <laughs> well, you, there's an experience you're trying to go for that um, you wanted to see if it resonated. So I did read that issue on its own first and then kind of go through. And I just, whatever it was that grabbed you about that issue, it was just too much for me to try to take in. And then going back, it made more sense. But Well, in a sense, you and I were trained trained by the comic books themselves to read comic books in a different way. Mm-hmm. So it literally took me 30 years to cotton on to the idea of, oh, you should go back and read previous issues. So I was, for years, like in maybe more than 30 years, in the early 2000s, I was still going to comic book shops and thinking, hey, I can just pick up a random issue of Planetary and follow what's going on. I can pick up a random issue of this and that. Planetary? I just, I, I just oh, that just, just jumped gave out me heartburn (laughs) (laughs) so i still thought comic books were something you don't have to read in order because i was trained to not read them in order and not worry about it and so you i think when you start reading a comic book you start asking lots of questions that i've been trained to just not even ask i just accept things i'm not saying that i'm better at all i'm just saying that that's how i was trained to read it and that made makes made me for a long time sort of not give up on all comics, but give up on some comics that I should have given more of a chance if I realized I needed to get them all. I mean, I learned with Sandman that I had to get them all. But other than that, I I would just jump around. I would read random comics and thought, that's how you do it. And if I didn't like it reading a random comic, then that comic wasn't good. Well, and Sandman pushed the industry more that way. It was one of the first to really have trades and all that. And it it wasn't collected the way it is now. Like there was Seasons of the Mist as a book. And that was a novel idea. Right. um, Yeah, the first Sandman, I think the first Sandman trade was A Doll's House, which was like the second arc or maybe even the third. And they didn't publish the first set of stories till you know maybe a decade later i think um right and i i remember after the doll's house because i think i read the doll's house first in trade and then i started picking up the comics and i didn't think there were going to be more trades of it so i slowly realized okay i i need to collect i need to make sure i buy all the sandmans that come out or i won't get the story yeah i took that a little too literally and now i have sandman three times over and a few books about sandman um i and here's the thing is there's definitely and you and I have talked about this before. We love when there's comics that really just feel like there's an issue and you don't have to worry too much. Um, right. We do both agree on that as being a, an important part of comic book reading. Was that when Remender was doing New Avengers and the, like every issue is some crazy uh, exercise all the time? I'm trying to remember if that was Remender. Th- was that right where the Red Skull put part of Xavier's brain in his head? That was like Uncanny Avengers, which came later. This was just um, Secret Avengers for a short while or maybe it's warren ellis sorry memory fades <laughs> warren ellis when he wants to does excellent one and done issues like he did that with uh, moon knight and i feel like there's some other ones he did that yeah, with warren ellis has done a lot of great work and a lot of forgettable work we could become the warren ellis and warren ellis podcast if we don't watch out <laughs> could we How i think warren you? ellis is someone we both like i mean i agree with you there's a lot of stuff that's not worth reading about Oh, I love Warren Ellis, but um, when he's good, he's definitely well. He's a perfect... he's kind of for me. He's maybe number two to Alan Moore. I mean, I, I probably should be careful about. There's probably a bunch of number twos to Alan Moore. But... 
Well, I don't think Alan Moore's would be my number one, but uh, who but who would be your number one? I mean, to me, Alan, I don't even have to think about it. Alan Moore, number one, way above everyone else. You think Alan Moore's the best comic writer of all time? Really? Yes. I never, huh? That's weird to me because I've never. I mean, I know. Don't get me wrong. I like a lot of his stuff. Uh-huh. Who doesn't? But you never hit me as someone who was so taken by like Watchmen or V for Vendetta. Oh, I I am very taken by them and okay. by other lesser Alan Moore stuff, and especially. By by the Swamp Thing and the early Miracle Man, Marvel Man stuff. Um, I I would say that, I mean, I kind of, I don't really believe in, like, I don't believe in the Shakespeare theory of literature, that one person is so much better than everyone else that you can just forget about everyone else and just read that one person. Mm-hmm. But but I do feel in my reading experience, Alan Moore is consistently the best writer. I wouldn't want to spend my life reading nothing but Alan Moore. I'm not there's, that kind of reader. There's definitely some Alan Moore stuff that uh, falls off. Yeah, it falls off, but it, there's always something interesting. And I haven't read oh, sure. all of Alan Moore. Like, I, I haven't pursued most of his recent work, um, although I plan to eventually read it. I, I feel almost just the the contrary in me just feels like uh-huh. he has to say, as great as Alan Moore can be, Grant Morrison like, is just a hair above. Uh, ooh, Grant Morrison would be so happy because Grant Morrison has spent his entire professional career being angry that he's number two to... Alan Moore. I I genuinely do think, but Grant I wouldn't Morrison, even put Grant Morrison at number two. Sorry, Grant. <laughs> I man, Grant Morrison's done so many more interesting experiences, and he's done so many great books. I in my mind, Alan Moore and Grant Morrison are kind of intrinsically linked. Uh-huh. It's almost more of a yin yang situation to each other. It's, in a way, it seems Grant Morrison might not have existed without Alan Moore, or he would have been an entirely different kind of writer. True, but I feel like whatever forces, whatever magical forces brought. Alan Moore to this plane um, were in part <laughs> conjured by Grant Morrison before we would have recognized them and it's this struggle that has been pushed through the comic world for a long time <laughs> I, I I know exactly what you mean but I also just 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 not putting so much weight on what came first but kind of what was generated because of the spat over Miracle Man going forward is what what spat over Miracle Man was uh, was there a spat between Grant Morrison and Alan Moore on Miracle? Man? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, obviously Alan Moore, Miracle Man, doing that, and then right. one of the first assignments Grant Morrison had um, was to come on and to follow up on Miracle Man, and in doing so, he, he didn't wrote a lot. write any Miracle Man. What Neil Gaiman followed up on Miracle Man? I know he did as well. I could have sworn Grant Morrison. Not to my knowledge. I think he did one short piece that was never published until Marvel published it in their current when they were reprinting it a few years ago. What am I thinking of? I remember this interview with Grant Morrison where he wrote this letter to Alan Moore about, you know, what a fan he was and da 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 and what inspiration was. And Alan Moore basically just said, whatever kid, you'll never be me. <laughs> well, I mean, Alan Moore, I mean, Alan Moore might be a total dick. That doesn't, wouldn't surprise it's me. weird is every time I've seen Alan Moore in an interview, he's some, but he seems genuinely kind of, interest in people in a way maybe not i mean obviously i'm a fan of everyone but uh he doesn't seem like a dick to me at all but but alan moore kind of precedes grant morrison by about 10 years so it's not they weren't you know yeah well it's all news it was all old news to me by the time i got to it it's all in grant morrison's mind that he's a competitor with alan moore i mean in a sense 
it's just different. So there's something called Grant Morrison's Lost Miracle Man story, and it was published, I'm looking online, and it was published in something that Marvel published a few years ago called the Miracle Man Annual, which had a bunch of odds and ends that weren't by Alan Moore in them. And I think it was like a six-page story or something. I read it. So the script dates back to the mid-80s when Morrison was asked to continue the series. Um, So they asked me to continue Marvel Man because Moore had fallen out with everyone in the magazine and taken away his script. And they said, would you follow up? Um, But then Morrison's story was never published. But it it was just a short little thing, like a little vignette. Well, I, the bigger thing to me was this reaction Grant Morrison had to Elmore, which has carried through to... Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Grant Morrison has kind of very ungenerously tried to say Watchmen and other things weren't really that hot shit. And I mean, I kind of agree with him. I think Watchmen is overplayed. Uh, I, d- <laughs> I don't. <laughs> well, especially now that we have, uh, you know, absolute carnage, you can just uh-huh. ditch your watch. <laughs> Well, a, a difference between you and me, definitely, and I don't know if it's generational, is I consider it very important what order things came in, mm-hmm. in terms of chronological history of like that Alan Moore came before Grant Morrison. And I give Alan Moore a lot of credit for the doors he opened up, like that's part. And I give uh, Frank Miller a lot of credit for the doors he opened up and and so on and so on. So when I read a comic book, I I am for better or worse, and maybe for worse sometimes, maybe I give things too much credit because I take their historical context into consideration. Because I've been reading for 48 years, <laughs> I read most of that in historical context. So I hit right. Alan Moore when he was and I hit him at, at in like 1981 in Miracle, the Miracle Man and V for Vendetta stuff in a British comic. Sorry, I'm you hit him and he didn't give you a hex. Right. I, I hit his Sorry. work and it felt like I hit a wall or went through a wall. Suddenly I'm in a different world of comics. So I know what he's going for. I'm comparing him. I mean, his greatness in part to me is due to the context in which he was first publishing. And he was a quantum leap ahead of everybody from early on, not just with Watchmen, far be, far before Watchmen. So I feel like some of what I'm saying here is, so there's a mix. So I genuinely do think Watchmen is overplayed and overhyped and all that. Um, I also don't necessarily think Watchmen is Elmore's best work. Um, I also think Alan Moore is an incredibly fascinating creator who's created a lot of things, and you definitely should read Watchmen and V for Vendetta and some of his DC highlights and some of his weird alternate work. Tom Strong. And listen to at least one interview with the man, because he hits me very akin to, uh, and probably part of the reason why Watchmen is what it is, uh, to Steve Ditko, um, Hmm. as this somewhat reclusive, uh, person very committed to the art and like taking things very seriously in a way that most people would dismiss. And there's something generative in that. Right. Um, and also taking certain philosophies that people attribute a number of things to in Ditko's case, um, objectivism in moore's case satanism or <laughs> not a satanism occultism yeah occultism. sorry but well um, he talks a lot about occultism but do you see that in most of his best comics i don't really notice it it's all over um it's all over a 
some of his work and not others. It's but in Promethea a lot, I think. But I don't. I can't think and of same else. for Dicko. Dicko played with a lot of occult stuff a lot of the time, oh, really? but people don't think of him that way. Despite the fact that one of his biggest creations, Doctor Strange, was steeped in it, um, which That's is true. also kind of fascinating when you consider the political leanings as well. Uh, well, I mean, I think when he did Doctor Strange, first of all, he was working in comics. Second of all, it was to some degree a co-creation with Stan Lee. Stan Lee may have said, let's do a magic character. Steve, here's your assignment. And then Steve may have filled in the blanks and made Doctor Strange what he was. But Well, but beyond a lot of other things, what was in Doctor Strange was true occult reference and movements and like the symbols the hand gestures there's something there mm-hmm. though interestingly those hand gestures and what were actually part of what um certain older um metal like heavy metal artists attributed to where they got the horns for they attributed for the that cons- to dr strange yeah i, I, I need to f- I need to find this clip because I've brought this up a number of times and nobody uh, believes me. But um, Ron, I've seen Ronnie James Dio claim to be the originator of the devil horns. And I don't know if that's really true anyway, but he says it's an old Italian curse. That is true as well. And I think all of them are true and different <laughs> people took to it in different ways. But um, I, I don't know. it's just there's so much fascinating stuff. I guess the reason why I buck at Watchmen or this idea of Alan Moore being first, making it more important or whatever, is because I read this stuff and I read it and I enjoy it. But then I get to other works and I find them as exciting, as interesting, if not better in some ways. And in sometimes it's reaction and growth to or kind of informed some of these other works and like when Watchmen's going on it gets all this credit for being dark grim and gritty but then how then how many people do they talk about the longbow hunters or something which was in that era and was that or then talk about the question comic that okay. was our complete reaction to Watchmen and can, can I respond to that for a second oh please do <laughs> so um yeah maybe he's over credited with certain things but that still doesn't mean he isn't the best writer so the hype might be wrong like i agree with you that like there were a lot of things that you see in watchmen that were already beginning to happen like 80s comics were growing up and Mm -hmm. and alan moore was the most talented of that era Mm -hmm. but other people were like mike grell is a talented guy, but I don't think his talent is at the level of Alan Moore, but maybe crediting everything to Alan Moore is, or to Alan Moore and Frank Miller, which is the way people do it, is is probably wrong. But that doesn't mean he wasn't the best of that stuff. And what he wants credit for and what I think he deserves credit for is bringing in all kinds of narrative techniques that are now standard for a lot of writers, but were not standard. In fact, were not even thought of by anybody before he did a lot of those things. The narrative, te- which ones? Well, uh, like an easy example is in Watchmen, where um, you have a panel showing pirates, but you yeah. have have captions talking about what's going on in another panel. So that overlapping technique to my knowledge, did not really exist or did not exist in people's consciousness before Alan Moore. So there's lots of stand now standard things that came in because of Alan Moore. But that narrative that narrative conceit has been around since Nemo and Dreamland. No. Yeah. 
I'm gonna have to go back and read some Nemo and Dreamland. I don't remember any. Well, I, I mean, uh, it's parallel maybe not quite the same on. level or anything, but the idea of the kid talking about something that relates to the real world when, when he's in the dream and whatnot, you know, like it's not a far reach, but. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I stick by my argument there. <laughs> I'll, I'll look back at because I have some Little Nemo, um, and Little Nemo certainly is a very influential comic. Apparently, a major influence on Mobius. Um, which makes a lot of sense to me all of a sudden. The vampire? At Mobius stuff. No, not Morbius. <laughs> Mobius, the French... Vampire. The, the flaky French <laughs> brilliant artist. <laughs> right. Artist and writer. That's His writing is sometimes very new agey, which is why I call him flaky. Creator. But, and Mobius is arguably... Um, let's not get into Mobius tonight, but arguably <laughs> right. the most... Well, should be listed amongst the most influential comic book people, too. Oh, it definitely is. And lots of people have no idea. They think it's all Frank quietly, or they think it's all someone else <laughs> that, who, who got it from Mobius, and not knowing they got it from Mobius. That's something interesting about comics in general, is, I mean, we think of them so American-centric first, but I mean, in so many ways now, it's come around that European comics have informed and pulled through, Japanese comics have right. informed and pulled through, and even like some African comics have informed and pulled through in so many ways. And I mean, you had for a while Marvel trying to reprint some of the bigger French comics and Italian comics, and that just didn't right. take, I think, because the format and the cost relative to the rack just didn't yeah. make sense. Yeah, and people were um, creators especially artists were looking at those things even before they were translated and being influenced by them as such as mm -hmm. Alan Moore. I mean, uh, um, Miller, Frank Miller. Um, sure. I don't know what all of Alan Moore's influences were. A lot. But anyway, you know, so, so for you to get back for you, the clear number one is, uh, Grant Morrison. No, no. <laughs> Uh, to say who's my absolute favorite comic writer of all time, I'm God. It's like it would have easily been Gail Simone for me a few years ago, and I couldn't say that now. She's turned out too many books I don't enjoy. She's yeah. I haven't read a Gail Simone book that I've enjoyed for it feels like about four or five years. I've enjoyed a lot of her recent stuff. Um, you but, have like what? Uh, there was Domino. There was. Uh, there's another one in space. Yeah, Domino's then became Hot Shots. Um, when was that? Like up to a couple months ago, I believe. Really? Is this at Marvel? I didn't even know mm -hmm. she was working there. Yeah. Okay. I've just been reading some of her indie comics that seemed really terrible. Well, I wanted to read Crosswind and uh, there's another one that I didn't get to. But um, her Red Sonia didn't particularly grab me. And uh yeah, her Red Sonia was just okay. And then right now I, I tried reading um, the, it's not called Daredevil, but it's the character that used to be Daredevil in the Golden Age that she's doing for like Dynamite. and The Devil? I think, yeah, it? they just call him the Daring Devil or something like that. Um, Deadly do right. And it, uh, I just hated that first issue so much. Hey, uh, you know, it's not always great. She's written a lot of great comics though, like Secret Six, Birds of Prey, oh, definitely, her Deadpool link she's done a lot of great work and you can't take that away from her but uh i think that's the hard part of like naming your favorite creator right. is now i've been around the block enough times that you know the people i'm really hot on in the moment i'm like well but how well do they hold up like i really like tom waltz on turtles but would i call him my favorite 
creator writer of all time how much did right. even would you like turtles? everything else he'd written or maybe you just like him on turtles yeah so well one thing is i mean my my favorite writer is often a really good writer i'm reading right now like if i'm reading criminal then ed brubaker is my favorite writer mm-hmm. but if i sit back and look at my 48 years of reading comics the overall favorite writer is still alan moore you know and and when i'm reading uh uh, the current book, Ice Cream Man, like I'm blown away by it. It's not a very, I mean, the writer is behind it all, but you don't, you're not even aware of the writing. You just sort of look at the art because there's the dialogue so minimal. But, uh, but maybe that guy sh- could become a favorite writer if, if after Ice Cream Man, he does other brilliant stuff. Right. But I mean, even with Ice Cream Man or whatever, like he'd have to, I feel like for him to be your favorite writer, you'd have to do something seminal to kind of, because Alan Moore is but it isn't, a staple. It isn't just the seminalness of Alan Moore, but every time I've picked up an Alan Moore book, I've been wowed um, by, a, well, I've been wowed, but it always hasn't been a good thing. I'm not sure what I thought about his crossed one thought. What is it? Cross crossed 100, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something going on in that book that was brilliant, but uh, I didn't understand it. Enough. It was like he's gone off too far for me, and I can't understand him anymore. I'm shocked to hear you picked up Cross because that seems like a book you would not. I would not normally. It was Alan Moore. Yeah, right. And I think it was very tame compared to other Cross books, but it did give me a queasy feeling. And as soon as Alan Moore left, even though a good writer, Cy Spurrier, took over, I decided that I was just going to drop it after that. You know what writer really has uh, gone down in my stock lately? Who? Robert Kirkman. Uh, was he a favorite writer? I really, I loved some, Invincible you know. for a long time and a number of his other books. I liked Walking Dead, sure. But um, man, his stuff gets so cynical. Huh. It's hard to... Uh, I'm really enjoying his book, Oblivion. Uh, or, or what's it called? Oblivion Song. It's not... It's probably in my top 12 books or so, you know, and I read a lot of comic books every month, but it's not my favorite. But I haven't, I I just read a little bit of Walking Dead and uh, probably about the first half of um, Invincible. No, maybe the first third, uh, which I enjoyed, but I guess I never thought of him as a favorite writer. All right. So next time we're talking about the entirety of Invincible. (laughs) Uh, Oh, really? Okay. Well, I'll see you in three months. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, no, no. Uh, What did you want to cover next? I would like to cover um, Daredevil by Frank Miller. Um, We can start reading it with issue number 168, where Frank Miller takes over writing and introduces Elektra, and maybe aim to read six issues and see where that takes us. I mean, to get the whole Elektra saga, we'd have to read a lot of issues um, or skip around. But why don't we just read, see, see if six issues is enough I think it'll be enough to chat about. Um, it might be hard to stop, though. That's the yeah. Uh, that's the best of Frank Miller. I'm gonna read. I I have the issues, but I'm gonna read them in this big chunky omnibus that I bought a while ago and haven't read. Haven't uh, haven't dared to crack. No, I don't mind cracking it, but I just have so many omnibuses. Um, but I'm looking forward to reading it in the omnibus setting. It, it, it's, it'll be a little hard. He he drew nine issues before he started writing it. Um, mm-hmm. But my memory is those are not so memorable issues before he wrote before he started writing. They're fun, but yeah, they're not. And his right his art kind of took off more when he started writing too. I'm glad I read them though because it gave me a baseline of what Daredevil was before he hopped on there's really. that yeah so it's optional we can i think i'll try to read the ones before i guess or skim them 
it was really good for me because before I had read that, I hadn't really read much Daredevil. Right. And so... There's our generational difference again. I'm like, just jump in, just start, start where you start. Um, well, yeah, someone pushed me to read that, and then I read a lot more Daredevil. I had a Daredevil period where I chunked through that. Then I read kind of the Quesada Smith through Andy Diggle run of Daredevil with the Bendis and Brubaker stuff. Uh, that was pretty, pretty big. See, and, uh, I've never read the Bendis yeah. and Brubaker. I probably should, I, especially what? the Brubaker. But what? Well, you, you have to read that run. Do I have to? Read so, Bendis first. You have to read Smith first. Smith? Who's Smith? Kevin Smith. Uh, uh, I don't want to read Kevin Smith. <laughs> for it's some okay. reason, I have a bad idea in my head of not liking Kevin Smith. There's a good reason for that. His <laughs> comics are... Well, to be fair, if you're going to read any Kevin Smith comics, you should read his Daredevil and probably his uh, Green Arrow. But... And for anyone out there, I do like Kevin Smith's video uh, movies. I'm not against Kevin Smith as a film director, but I just... I must have read just a little bit and found it really clunky. Well, his Batman. With Joe Casada, I read some of his Daredevil with Joe Casada. I think I did. Yeah, I haven't it, read his Batman. Really? Okay. No, I've read very little Kevin Smith. I, see, there's a generational difference. Right. Well, your prime time of reading comics was actually a time when I was way off on the peripheries. Yeah. So uh, the only Marvel I read around then was the Ultimate, the Ultimates, and the Ultimate Fantastic Four. Well, and did you get many wizard magazines? No. <laughs> so I was brainwashed to think Kevin Smith, Joe Quesada, and Brian Michael Bendis were the greatest things in comics uh-huh. ever. <laughs> and maybe they were. I mean, well, Joe Quesada seems like he brought Marvel back from the brink, and he took a lot of uh, risks and a lot of interesting editorial choices. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of his art, but... Really? It's okay, but I'm not. It's not my thing. It's too reminiscent Muscly. of the '90s. <laughs> it is pretty '90s, but it's not like Liefeldian or. It's it's the better part of the '90s, but still, I think I just have a prejudice there. Huh? Crazy. I mean, I like. Uh, I don't mean to really put down Joe Quesada's art, but it's just not. He's not a favorite. That's fair. But you know, like I guess during the Joe Quesada period, I I think I read. Um, ghostwriter you know it's like a, a few Oof. individual things here and there but i was just not following marvel at all at the time well there's some hidden gems i'm sure there are yeah like that deadpool you didn't like <laughs> well i haven't really given deadpool a shot i know i need to read the gail simone deadpool and the someone kelly deadpool joe kelly yeah so i remember your recommendations but i still haven't read them i uh yeah i, I i'd say the joe kelly first honestly the gail simone deadpool i loved but i don't think uh would hit it certainly didn't hit travis when i look at the piles of good comics that i haven't read yet deadpool kind of sinks to the bottom even if they're really good just because i've read a little bit of deadpool and and that kind of it's just not i mean i read deadpool when it was being written by that celebrity comedian actually so that was probably not a good uh, example of that uh, yeah. i actually read some colin bunn deadpool minis that i liked like deadpool kills all of literature or something i enjoyed yeah, that's that all right they're fun they're colin bunn so they're only going to be okay though <laughs> poor colin he's definitely not in my top not, not in your top i i'm reading well i've only read one issue so far of man or black but i really like it and i i love colin bunn's uh, sixth gun so i consider him a writer to always keep an eye on fair enough but uh but his marvel work has you know been work workman like i suppose 
It's stepped up recently with some of the Carnage stuff, I think. Oh, I didn't know he was on it. Yeah, he's doing the Scream mini and uh, touched a couple other side parts of it. He's not doing the main book, obviously, but um, he's building it out. And there's going to be a spinoff that's going to continue after that off those characters, Maniac and Scream, I think. And uh, he might be building out a little bit of the Marvel stuff that's more in the six-gun sensibility, I believe. And he has that other horror series that everyone raves about that I now I can't... Tyler Kirkham is the artist, or Tyler somebody. That's a Dark Horse series. Um, Oh, damn. Brain fart. Can't remember. Bunkirk. (laughs) Um... This, it's the same team that now is doing Manor Black, so it makes me real. Since I'm liking Manor Black, I should probably go back and check it out. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't count Colin Bunn out. All right. So, well, um, we've gone on and on, and you know what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to split it into two podcasts. All right. I'll maybe record a little intro for the second one um, okay. where we just are bullshitting about all this stuff. I like uh, to think of it as nuanced and deep insight into the industry. Uh-huh. That's exactly what bullshit is. No. <laughs> Well, now I feel like I should make a list of all the potential number two after Alan Moore writers because there's a large number of them. I think Grant Morrison for me would be number in the number three contenders. But hearing that makes me think that maybe we're closer. You just have this one guy you like a chunk more than the others, but like to me, I'm like to name one. Like there's so many great authors and artists and i don't know like for me to put one above the other at this point like all my basically all my heroes have been dashed from me in one way or another uh, that i'd like right. you know i really like them but they got this mm, stuff no one's, and... no one's perfect <laughs> and certainly there have been moments when i you know in a way i wish i'd never seen an interview with alan moore never heard him talk about things really it's better that i just think of him through the books i read okay because i mean like the whole occult thing when he talks about it i'm totally turned off and and think he's an idiot but when i read his books i think he's a genius even when it is got hippie trippy stuff with people taking mushrooms or whatever yeah because i could see that i guess the here's the one i can give you is the one undisputed comics creator that i'll have respect for above nearly anyone else Uh forever is kevin eastman okay um that's just all around that like he's written some stuff that i think is great he's written some stuff that's totally indulgent that i think is totally fun he's drawn so many great books and you know as a creator he's definitely earned a place and done some great work and then beyond that um as far as being someone in comics i can't think of any creator who's done more for the realm of comics for comic sake than him is he the one of the two creators that created all these grants and gave out a lot of money to people to create indie comics i don't know if he did grants but he funded a lot of indie comics and when he was doing mirage like let people come on do that and then even in turtles uh he helped bring on all kinds of creators do all kinds of weird crazy different takes and even to this day you know he helps bring on different artists to the turtles book and he's kind of made some rising stars so in the industry. maybe both eastman and laird one of them did something called i think the zeric zeric grant which i think still exists and it, it gives small-time people like twenty thousand dollars each year to you know go for their own thing and, and it's nurtured awesome. a lot of things that later became kind of famous yeah. Um, he also is helping publish heavy metal so you know like he's right. in it <laughs> right he loves comic yeah no i totally respect him as a comic book fan 
Um, but I haven't read a lot of Turtles, and I haven't read a lot of I've read anything else that he's written. Yeah, but, and a lot of the other stuff he's done, I don't think would be your cup of tea. Right. But I got you to read that one Turtles chunk. <clears throat> I enjoyed it. I mean, it. I don't, again, maybe higher up than Deadpool, I eventually want to read more of it, but... Uh, <laughs> But I just have so much stuff to read, and I sorry, but I don't really care about turtles per se. No, no, I I hear you. I get it. It's just yeah. it's hard for me not to bang on about it because I'm always right, always checking out turtles. It's like me with Conan. You know, I I can't yeah. expect you to like Conan, and you can't expect me to like turtles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's totally fine. I I get it. Oh. Okay, well, um. We are definitely not dead. We have a plan for our next episode. We probably have two episodes in the can here, so um, we will be back soon. Hustle Easter. Goodbye, Matt. (laughs) That sounded ominous. Very.